You're listening to the Cougar Talk Podcast, hosted by Dylan McMinn and Chris Isaacson. Welcome back, everyone, to the Cougar Talk Podcast. We are your weekly podcast for all things BYU football and college football in general. Now, before we dive into today's episode, we do want to give a huge shout out to today's sponsors. So this episode is sponsored by Josh underscore war signs on Twitter. So he does custom commissioned wood signs or logos made out of birch wood. They're always affordable and he always offers free shipping for them. So if you're interested in getting a cool sign made by him, make sure you check him out on Twitter. It's at Josh underscore war W a R R. He does great work. I bought an Ohio state sign for my father-in-law great quality for a very fair price. And I'm a big fan of his. So make sure you check him out. Also, if you're interested in, in getting a commission piece, but you don't have Twitter, you can also text 801-310-2625 to get something set up, business inquiries only, of course. We also want to give a huge shout out to KuConnect. If you missed last week's episode, we are very excited to be official affiliates with KuConnect. With the way that the college football landscape is constantly changing, especially now with NIL, it is a huge, huge importance for BYU to have that source of NIL. So KuConnect is one of those very premier NIL companies affiliated with BYU Athletics. It is a fantastic company that gives all, almost all of their proceeds directly to the athletes themselves. It's just a small monthly subscription service you pay, I believe the smallest one is only like 10 bucks a month. And with that, you get access to player written reports, inside access to announcements earlier before everyone else. So if you want to support BYU football, subscribing to KuConnect is the greatest way to do so. And if you want to subscribe through our website, you can always go to cougartalkpodcast.com. Go to the bottom button there for subscribe to KuConnect. And from there, we will send you right on over and they'll get you taken care of. So again, huge shout out to both of those sponsors for KuConnect and for Josh. If you are unfamiliar with us, my name is Dylan at CertOpinion on Twitter. And joining me today is my good friend, Chris. We are both huge BYU fans and football fans who just love talking about the sport, especially with BYU. So we decided to start off our podcast. But Chris, how's it going? How you been? It's going great. It's been good. The Arkansas game was such a fun time. So I'm I'm super excited to break it down and get into our next matchup here. Me too. It's such a fun, exciting matchup. And I'm pretty sure any BYU fan that watched that had a lot of takeaways and we did too. So we're going to dive into all of those through this episode. But first of all, we also, of course, want to give some shout outs to some former BYU players who are killing it in the NFL. So specifically, I want to give a huge shout out to Puka Nakua. He had a record-breaking week, actually, this past week in the NFL. He has the most receptions and most receiving yards by any player in their first two games of their entire career. So Puka is balling it out for the Rams, so huge shout-out to him. Yeah, and as, as well on uh, Monday night, we had Taysom Hill playing against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Jamal Williams went out with an injury. That was pretty sad to see as BYU fans, but Taysom Hill stepped in. He had nine carries, 75 yards, helped lead the Saints to a 2017 win over the Panthers. And so it's nice to see Taysom still doing work, even all the way into 2023. 
Now, jumping back to, to the Arkansas game, Chris, as you mentioned, it was a fantastic win. It was a roller coaster of emotions watching that game live. If you missed that game for any reason, BYU won 38-31. to We played at Arkansas. It was a crazy game with a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about what went right in the game. I have three stats that I've got pulled up here for what I think went right. The first one was the starting field position. BYU started, is the average starting field position was on the 39-yard line, which is significantly better than you would expect from a game, so that helped a lot. The second was penalties. Arkansas had 14 penalties for 125 yards. And so even though they outgained us in terms of yards and plays and offensive time of possession, they had a lot of penalties that stalled a lot of drives there that they honestly could have had at least another touchdown or two without some of those penalties. And then the very last one I wanted to talk about was the third down conversion rate. BYU held Arkansas to two of 13 on third downs. That's a stat that's going to win you some football games. Arkansas had a lot of first downs, but when it came down to getting stops, BYU's defense was stout. And so you take those three stats, you look at all of them, and even though we might not have had the best offensive day, those are the reasons why we were able to score 38 points and still be able to come out on top. And especially that third down conversion stat, that is one that us as BYU fans are not familiar with seeing something like that in recent history. So this, of course, goes back to the phrase that we've been using all season, that this defense is different. I mean, we started out the game a little bit lackluster. We, I mean, to say the least, we allowed a, you know, 55-yard, I believe, touchdown on one of their opening plays. We punt the ball to them. They return the punt back for a touchdown immediately as well. But then after that, we scored 21 unanswered points, and a big part of that is because of that defense. Now, some stats that I want to point out, just you know, piggybacking, piggybacking off of that, Chris, I also want to point out that we led the turnover margin. So we had a forced fumble and an interception. Arkansas had one forced fumble and a fumble recovery, so we led that 2-1. to one. And I... Personally, I think any game you win the turnover margin, you should be winning that game, period. It's very difficult to win a game if you aren't, especially in a game like this one where we were down 14-0 to very early on, and then later in the game we were down 10 points again. So we technically had two comebacks that we had in this game. Now another thing that I want to point out that I want to give a huge shout-out this was my favorite moment of the entire game, and I actually tweeted about it as I was re-watching the game the other day. But if you don't follow me, it's at CertOpinion on Twitter. But I talked about how you know Chase Roberts had a very, very unfortunate fumble right before halftime. He caught a little slant route just across the field, just down the middle of the field. He tried to make a move. When he got tackled, the defender's helmet hit right on the ball and forced a fumble. Great play by the defense. Got to give them credit there. And they were able to get points off of that. They got a field goal right as time expired for the half. Yeah, so we were we were down at half because of that. And, you know, even during that play, watching it back, I noticed, you know, an Arkansas player kind of shove Chase's face down into the field a little bit, kind of taunting him, you know, getting in his face a little bit as players do in the intensity of a game. And one of the first things I noticed while this was happening 
was Keaton Slovis immediately running over to Chase, picking him up, you know, helping him lift his head up high, not looking down at the ground, and really help him understand that, you know, that's one of those situations that we just got to move on from. It's unfortunate. Sometimes it's unavoidable, especially with a good defensive hit like that. And you just got to pick ourselves back up after a moment like that. Well, then later, fast forward in the game, this ended up being the game-winning drive for us. It was the last point scored in the game. We go down the field, and Keaton throws a great throw to Chase, but Chase makes an even better catch on it. He has a one-handed catch. Top play on SportsCenter for the night. It was a great play. If you did not see that, you need to go find that play and watch it because it was one of the most phenomenal plays I've seen from BYU in recent history. It's comparable to the Puka Nakua game-winning touchdown against Boise State. But I love that whole situation because, you know, Chase made that little mistake there that ended up paying big dividends for the game. You know, it allowed Arkansas to get that momentum and get that lead going into halftime. From there, they ended up building that into a 10-point lead after halftime. And instead of letting that get him down and get the team down, we came back. He got that eventual game-winning touchdown. And one of the players that was actually defending that play was the same player that forced the fumble and pushed his face into the ground. So he got a little bit of revenge there. So I love that entire situation there. To me, that was the story of the game, just getting you know smacked in the face a little bit, you know, getting down, and then still making the plays needed to come back and win. So that made me super happy watching that. Yeah, you said that perfectly there. That that chase catch was just a thing of beauty. I remember I was when when I was watching it live, I let out a sound that I could not repeat. I have no idea what it was. I was shocked watching that play. It was it was incredible to watch. Super happy that we've got guys like that that can make plays. And now going into on the other end of the ball, what went wrong? Honestly, the beginning of the game was rough. The first 5 minutes, you give up the long touchdown run. You punt on your very next drive, and all of a sudden you're down 14-0 on less than two drives. That wasn't great, but not much else went wrong after that. I mean, we gave up another 17 points the rest of the next 55 minutes of game time. They only scored once in the third quarter. We held them scoreless in the fourth, and really the team came to play after the first five minutes. If you take that out, we're a solid team. I'm happy with the defense. I'm happy with how the offense came back and responded. There wasn't a whole ton that went wrong this week. Was there anything that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, it's kind of you know hard in a game like this to notice, notice things that we do wrong when the other team seems to be making every mistake they could. So when it's a game like that, you know, sometimes it's hard to find things that really went wrong for your team because you're obviously doing something right. But getting just a little bit picky, I think, you know, one concern, well, I guess I'll, I'll go over two concerns that I had from the game. One is the depth we have at the safety position. Crew Wakely got hurt in, I think it was the first play of the game, if not the first play, in the first drive of the game. He got a concussion, I believe, is what the official word was on that. So he is going to be out here for a little bit. And so right now on the depth chart, we only have three safeties with Malik Moore, Tanner Wall, and Ethan Slade. And Ethan Slade and Tanner Wall are two walk-on players too. So this week we're going to have two starters on defense at the safety position who are walk-on players. Malik, he's been struggling a little bit with missed assignments, with, you know, taking a bad angle to the ball. And 
because of those little mistakes, Ethan Slade and Tanner Wall have worked their tails off and have made enough of a difference to kind of take that starting spot over Malik. Now, not to you know focus on things that individual players are doing wrong. I think that has more to say about Tanner Wall and about Ethan Slade more than it says anything about Malik. You know, those walk-ons are playing super hard. They are being difference makers. You know, Ethan Slade himself, I remember particularly, there was a long third down. Arkansas threw it. The receiver would have had a first down. He had his hands on the ball. And instead of just giving up on the play and trying to make the tackle, Ethan Slade was also punching the ball out of the receiver's arms at the same time, pushed it out as they were going down to the ground and forced that incompletion. So the play of the safeties themselves is not terrible, but the depth is a little bit of a concern. We are so thin at that safety position. Jay Hill himself said they're not going to be pulling any other defenders from other positions over to that safety position. He likes going with those three still. So I'm trusting him. So that's not a huge concern, but it is, you know, something that is always a little bit nerve wracking when you only have three players at that position due to injury. And then on the offensive side of the ball, you know, one of the concerns that came up throughout the game was our offensive line again. You know, it seems like they were struggling with their blocking, especially with the run game, kind of a common theme this season. And again, though, even there, you know, it seemed like it struggled for a little bit during the game. We were still making it work, though. And then we actually made a personnel change, and that seemed to make the difference. So as far as long-lasting concerns, I'm not necessarily losing sleep over these things. But they are, of course, things that didn't go perfectly in that game for us. Yeah, and I had one thing as well. Just looking at the offensive stats, we did only rush for it was 77 yards in total on 31 attempts. The math on that is just about two and a half yards per carry. But if you take out the 45-yard run from LJ Martin, BYU rushed for just 1.6 yards per carry. Given the 45-yard run, you can't be too mad at the run game, but that number is still a little bit concerning, and it has been a concern all year. We want to see that get up. We want about three, four yards per rush if possible. One and a half is not going to get it done in the close, grindy games where the other team doesn't shoot themselves in the foot. Now, going back to the things that went right, that we don't want to dwell too much on what went wrong, of course, because that was a win. A win is a win. It was a great game, and we did play great. So I want to give some shout-outs to some specific players that we thought earned the player of the game on both sides of the ball that had great games themselves. Now, watching the game live, I didn't really think this as much as I do now after re-watching it. One huge role in our offense for getting that win was Parker Kingston. You know, of course, he had the trick play where he threw it to Deion Smith for our first touchdown of the game. For those of you who don't know, Parker Kingston played quarterback in high school and has transitioned to be a receiver at BYU, but he showed off, you know, why he was a quarterback in high school with that play. But outside of that, he also had his first touchdown of the game or his first receiving touchdown in his career at BYU is on a similar screenplay as Darius Lassiter's first touchdown against Southern Utah. On the day, Parker had three receptions for 46 yards and a touchdown that comes down to 15 yards per reception on average. And those are great stats for any receiver, but I think one thing that kind of went a little bit unnoticed was Parker was our spark plug for the entire game. It felt like anytime we needed some type of momentum, it came from Parker. You know, specifically, he, after Arkansas scored 
the you know 14 points in a row right at the start of the game without it even playing you know three entire possessions immediately after that he had a 40 plus yard kickoff return and then you know we have that game winning drive with that pass to Chase Roberts that drive stalls out without a long third and 10 pass to Parker where he breaks a tackle has the defender grabbing onto his undershirt and he still pulls through all of that to get that first down. So there are big plays made like that by Parker that I think kept our momentum going on offense that really made the difference in the game. Yeah, so first things first, my player of the game was also Parker Kingston. I thought he was very dynamic throwing the ball, receiving, just kind of bringing a new element to the offense and the return game as well. So he was my offensive player of the game, but the other shout out I'd like to give is to LJ Martin. It was his first week getting really every single carry we had. He had 23 carries. The next highest was two. And he got his 45-yard touchdown, had two touchdowns on the day. It was nice to see him get in the end zone for the first time in his BYU career and really establish himself as the workhorse back for this offense. So LJ Martin's my offensive shout-out there. And going to the defensive side of the ball, I know you have something in mind there. What I'm going to focus on a little bit is the defensive line. I think one player I'd like to shout out, Tyler Batty. He had nine tackles, one and a half sacks there. It was a great game by him. But my defensive player of the game is going to be a little bit of a sleeper. I like Isaiah Banya. He he did not have any sacks. He had six tackles, but that is a little bit misleading. One of his tackles was on KJ Jefferson on a passing play. He got tackled at the line of scrimmage, but because there wasn't a loss of any yards, it didn't count as a sack. So he was one yard away from one sack. And then on the very last play of the game, I think he should have had what was another sack. He had KJ Jefferson wrapped up, going to the ground. He was down before he threw the ball and he threw it to an offensive lineman for an illegal touching. So we kind of got robbed of two sacks there, but I just remember watching him and thinking how good Isaiah Banya was this game. So he is my defensive player shout out of this game. Yeah, and this is another one of those games where it's hard to choose just one player on the defense to give this player of the game to. Um, But for me specifically, there was one player that stood out even more than that entire defensive line. And, you know, it kind of stood out to me more as I rewatched the game. But it's got to be A.J. Fongpachon. He, seriously, it felt like every single time there was a big tackle made for, you know, stopping a big run from happening, it was A.J. there. And, you know, he kind of was set up for success a lot with our style of play today. We were really preventing that run. We were spying on K.J. most of the game, it seemed like. But him, Max Tooley, and Ben Bywater all played a huge role in filling in those gaps between the linemen. They would fill in the gap. They would, you know, delay a rush a little bit to make sure it wasn't a running play. When it was, they would swarm to the ball. And AJ was actually tied with Jacob Robinson as the leading tacklers for the game. He had 10 total tackles, four solo tackles. It felt like he had some tackles for loss, but they're not showing on that stat sheet. I think it's just kind of similar situation, as you mentioned, to Isaiah not getting that sack, just where he met them right at the line of scrimmage. So it's not necessarily a tackle for loss, but they didn't gain any yards from it. But it felt like he was always there meeting the running back. And there were multiple plays where, you know, he was that difference maker, especially when they go for it on fourth and one. You know, we've seen a lot of replays on it. He was the first one meeting that running back at the line, meeting him even before the line of scrimmage. And then Max Tooley was able to get there to help as well. So I think, you know, rightfully so, I got to give mine to A.J., You know, he's showing why he is one of those leaders on this team. 
one of the more aggressive players that we have on this defense. And it was fun watching him play. But like I said, you know, there are so many defensive players that I do think could have gotten that player of the game as well. You know, Max Tooley with an interception and lots of tackles. Eddie Heckard with a lot of open field tackles and a forced fumble. But, you know, I think one of the biggest difference makers was AJ. Now, going kind of off of that, you know, just wrapping up, I guess, from this past week's matchup against Arkansas, there are a few takeaways that I think we have from this that we can, you know, just take from the game itself. So I'll let you go ahead, Chris, and get us kicked off with your main takeaways from this win. Yeah, so my first takeaway is that this defense is here to play. And I know we've seen it, we've been talking about it a little bit, but this was the first real test. We're going into SEC territory on the road. We got down 14-0, and this defense came, and they were stout the rest of the game. Like, we gave up the one big play, and outside of that, we were pretty stout the whole time. They did have a lot of yards, but at the end of the day, we held them scoreless in the fourth quarter. We held them scoreless for a lot of the game, and really, they're legit. I am excited to watch this team in Big 12 play with all the explosive offenses. They're going to get challenged a lot, and I think they're here for the challenge. Absolutely. I do have to agree there, you know. Even even if Arkansas isn't the most explosive offense in the SEC, they're still an SEC opponent. It's still an away game for us. And K.J. Jefferson is definitely one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC. And we kind of made it feel like he wasn't quite to that level this week. I do also want to point out, you know, one of my major takeaways, kind of building off of that. As you mentioned, you know, our average starting field position was fantastic and we also had a lot of mistakes that we saw from Arkansas leading to that there were a lot of those penalties as you mentioned you know the punter had a punt that only went like 25 yards and then he had a 10-yard punt as well but one thing that stood out most to me about that is our offense capitalized on those mistakes I feel like there have been times in the past where it just feels like our offense is maybe young, where we're making those mistakes to really not capitalize as much as we can on mistakes like that. But it felt like this past week, every time there was a mistake by Arkansas that got us the ball in great field position, our offense took advantage of that, whether that was with a Will Ferren field goal or with a Parker Kingston touchdown screen pass immediately after that return. Whatever it was, we took advantage of those plays. And, you know, that makes me at least feel like there's a lot more maturity and experience on this team. Our receivers have a lot more experience. We have a quarterback like Keaton Slovis, who has a lot of P5 experience specifically. He's been in situations like this. And we were making the most of those opportunities. So that's my big takeaway. Our offense is able to capitalize when our defense forces those mistakes. All right, and with that, we're going to get into our Kansas preview. The game is this Saturday, a 1.30 p.m. kickoff on ESPN. We're getting an ESPN slot at 1.30, first Big 12 game for BYU. It's an exciting time to be a BYU fan. Our uniforms, we are wearing our all-white. We have a white helmet, a new white face mask with it, white jersey, white pants with a navy trim. It's such a clean look. I remember wearing it against Arizona in 2016 when we got that win down there. It's, it's really a clean look, and I'm excited to watch us go on ESPN into Big 12 territory and see what this team can do. Absolutely. It should be a good matchup. 
And it's actually a matchup that I think a lot of BYU fans are kind of a little bit too confident in. And I say that loosely, but I think, you know, a lot of BYU fans took a look at Kansas just last week, saw that they struggled a little bit against Nevada, and kind of are assuming that this should be a fairly easy win for us. But I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it'll be much more difficult than a lot of fans think. So let's go over a little bit of who this Kansas team really is. So at this point in the season, Kansas is 3-0. They have wins over Missouri State, Illinois, and Nevada. They have their leading passer in Jalen Daniels, 575 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. And one surprising thing to me is that Daniels only has 20 yards rushing on the year. I do expect that to rise a lot, actually, throughout these next few weeks. They also have their leading rusher in Devin Neal. On the season, he has 303 rushing yards and five touchdowns. But I want to point something out about this Kansas team. Their defense has always been their weakness as of late, and I do think that is why a lot of BYU fans are assuming that this is going to be an easier matchup. But I want to point out that their defense has still improved a lot since you know the Kansas teams that we've seen in the past. They have four interceptions and five forced fumbles already on the seasons. Two of those interceptions, actually, just to point out, are by Darius Lassiter's brother. That's you know one thing that's kind of crazy about this game is we are going against our own player's brother, and they very well could be matched up and lined up across each other in the game. But this Kansas defense is a fairly good defense. They are improved, I should say. Now, they did struggle against Nevada. It felt like Nevada was able to have their way just a little bit with them on defense. But also, I want to point out that, you know, this Kansas team very well could have just been overlooking Nevada to look towards us. So I don't expect that we will see the same Kansas team we saw last week against Nevada. I think we're going to see a much more intense Kansas team like we saw in their first two matchups against Missouri State and Illinois, especially with it being the first Big 12 matchup of their season as well. Yeah, and the big thing that stands out about Kansas, like you said, their offense is averaging about 500 yards per game. They're 3-0, and and I think the most telling game is probably the Illinois game. Illinois is a respectable opponent for them, and Kansas came in. They put up 539 total yards, very balanced attack, 277 through the air, 262 on the ground. They did not commit a lot of penalties, and they dominated the time of possession. This offense is potent, and our defense is going to have to come – come to play even more than we did last week. And then like you were talking about defense as well, Kansas's defense is also improved. They are a good squad overall. This matchup is going to be really fun. I think BYU's receivers are going to have a challenge getting open. The run game is going to have a challenge getting going. So we'll see what breaks first and what gives us a break. And we'll see how the offense responds to a really good defense. And, you know, I I honestly think that this Kansas offense will be a lot more of a threat than the Arkansas offense. You know, Jalen Daniels and K.J. Jefferson have somewhat of a similar style where they're dual threat. They like running with Daniels at at Kansas. But the big difference is Jalen Daniels is smaller than K.J. Jefferson. He's a lot faster. He's a lot shiftier. He is a hard person to tackle. 
So Kansas really likes to use that in their offense, which is why it's kind of surprising that he only has 20 yards on the year. Um, granted, he didn't play in their week one matchup against Missouri State. That was their backup that played in that game for most of that game, I should say. But he, you know, he will be very involved in their rushing offense. I think they seem to really like, um, you know, options with him. They like giving the ball a lot to Neil a lot as well. So they are going to be a fairly heavy running offense. I will point out, though, that on defense, what they struggled with specifically is actually some things that we found success with in this past week. I noticed against Nevada specifically, they struggled defending the run with misdirections, counters, and options all specifically. And it felt like with the counter specifically, a counter run, that is where we found where we found success with our rushing offense last week. So I do think that is a little bit of a weakness for us to take advantage of this Kansas team. But overall, they do not have a lot of weaknesses. It's going to be a very tough matchup, as you said, Chris. And, you know, it's going to be another one of those games where I think we're really going to have to focus on making them beat us through the air. You know, that was one of your keys to the game last week, and you were 100% correct on it. You said we had to make KJ beat us specifically with his arm rather than his legs. I think that's going to be, you know, a very similar storyline here. We can't let Daniels go off on his legs. We have to contain him. We have to stop the run with Devin Neal and their backup Highshaw as well. He had a great game last week. We have to stop that run and make them beat us through the year. But even at that point, their passing offense is fantastic with receivers like Lawrence Arnold, Luke Grimm, guys who are great at getting open and are very fast. They have a lot of speed. Now, moving on from that, I want to take a look at kind of who is week for BYU. Each episode, we kind of take a look at who this week's BYU will be. Um, just some depth chart things we've seen so far. Of course, LJ still has that starting spot. I think he kind of cemented him in that role a little bit more with his performance this past week. He he did a great job with the touches he was given. I do expect us to see a little bit more Cody Epps. He did have his first game of the season back from injury last week against Arkansas. He was kind of a non-factor, though. He had you know two rushing yards on a sweep. He had, you know, a big pass that was thrown to him that he dropped. That would have been a first down for us. That's not the Cody Epps we all know. Um, I think that was kind of just first game back from an injury type of situation. So I do expect us to see a lot more from him, especially as he gets back into his rhythm. Um, at least as of now, it's still announced that Tanner Wall is getting that starting spot over Malik Moore at the safety position. They also announced Caleb Etienne is starting at that right tackle spot. He, that is one of those changes that we kind of expected here because that was one of those personnel changes during the game last week. Um, but Etienne is, Etienne is still getting that start. But I do think we get a lot of looks from the backup there as well. Yeah, it's going to be fun to look forward to seeing all the changes, seeing exactly what personnel we come out this week. So my focus here, week four BYU is going to try and make Kansas one-dimensional. Kansas has a great rushing and passing attack. You touched on it a little bit, but week four BYU is going to have to focus on shutting down one thing so that you can play the other thing. And we have a great front seven. I'm really excited about our defensive line and how well they've been playing lately. I do think we can put a dent in their run game, but I would not be surprised if they're still able to rush for about 150 yards or so. 
that is going to happen. Kansas has a great offense. It's really just about limiting the damage and seeing where you can get little wins, winning the turnover battle, getting pass breakups, stopping runs of six and turning them into runs of two to three, things like that. And so I think this will be a test for our defense more than more than Arkansas's offense. And so really, it's going to see how well we can play the bend but don't break game, which I know BYU fans hate to hear. Bend but don't break was the philosophy of the of the defensive staff before us. And we have a lot of bad memories with that. But I do think that is going to play a factor in this game here. Well, and interesting that you bring up the bend up bend but don't break defense because that's actually a little bit of what we saw last week you know it wasn't what we necessarily wanted but you know that's what ended up helping us in the end we had that bend but don't break um jay hill said specifically in the media availability this week that that ended up being a little bit more than he wanted with the bend but don't break so we're hoping to get rid of that but i do agree that that may be what we are looking at with this week as well with such a high octane offense like kansas You know, one other thing that's always brought up with BYU is we seem to have, you know, kind of a slump after a big win, especially when it's, you know, a big win at night. The next week we have an afternoon kickoff that we kind of, you know, maybe overlook the opponent a little bit, like our loss to Boise State or, you know, like losing two teams like East Carolina, Liberty. But I don't think we see that this year. I think there are multiple factors going into this to make us, you know, have that intensity. It's not going to be, you know, we're not going to lose this game due to lack of intensity. To me, I think we are going to see, you know, one of the more intense BYU teams that we've seen so far this season. This is one of those games that I think we've been looking to all offseason because it is our first Big 12 matchup ever. This isn't just, you know, of the season. This isn't our first game against, you know, a Big 12 team. This is our first Big 12 matchup as a member of the Big 12 Conference. There is a lot riding on this game. We don't want to lose this game and have that be in our history books that we lost our first ever Big 12 matchup as a Big 12 team. So I think that, you know, this team is going to be ready for it with intensity. I think our coaches are going to really utilize that. I think especially with a coach like Jay Hill, as I've said this before, Jay doesn't overlook opponents, and that applies especially to a week like this where he's not only going to not overlook the opponent, but he's going to emphasize why this is a big game. He's going to get us locked in for game time, and you know, so far this season, I think our coaches have shown that we can trust them in getting our team locked into the game and having that intensity. So that's kind of my big thing for who is week four BYU. I think we are a very intense team. I do not expect the same struggles we've seen before with that, you know, post big game slump, as some people like to call it. But sort of going from that into our keys of the game, I think, you know, having that intensity is a given. So we, of course, need to address that. Having that intensity is going to be a huge key to this game because it's at Kansas They have sold out the booth already. They have posted about it all over social media. This is a big deal to them. They are not overlooking it. It's going to be loud. It's going to be a hostile environment. And so intensity is going to be huge there. But in terms of, you know, actual play outside of that, some keys to the game I think that we're going to need is we're going to really need to, as I said before, stop that run. We need to control Daniels. We have to make him beat us with his arm. And we also have to control that running game, uh, at least, you know, somewhat to where we are not constantly 
getting beat by it. You know, BYU teams in the past, we've seen any team we play against be able to run the ball all over us as much as they would like to. I think we cannot allow this this game. We can allow them to have, as you mentioned, you know, over 150 rushing yards, but we can't allow that running game to completely dominate. We have to win this game in the trenches and get to the backfield early. We have to make those open field tackles because they're really going to try to beat us with their speed specifically. Now, Chris, what are your keys to beating Kansas? Yeah, my key start on the offensive side of the ball, the receivers have to win matchups. The receivers have been a little lackluster lately, and that's usually a big part of BYU's passing game is getting the balls out to receivers, getting guys in space and yards after catch. I think the receivers need to get going, and we need to have some big games from some big-time players. On the defensive side of the ball, you said it best, don't let the run game dominate you. Kansas is going to run the ball 35, 40 times. They're going to pound the rock. We have to be able to hold them to lower yards per carry. We've got to keep that in control, keep everything contained, and keep the lid on that. If we can do those things, I do think BYU's got a great chance to win. And then on special teams, keep winning the field position battle. That was one of the biggest things that we did against Arkansas that got us the win. If we do have to punt, I love Ryan Rico. I love our punt coverage team. Other than the touchdown they gave up, obviously you don't want to see that. But our special teams have been great, and they're going to need to keep being great in order for us to be able to have a shot in this game. Absolutely. And kind of going into that, I think we do still have a very decent shot at winning this game. You know, I think right now Kansas is favored by about nine points is right now what it's looking like from Vegas. That, of course, can fluctuate as it gets closer to kickoff. It has already changed a lot in the past week. But I do think this is a game that we definitely can win. So going into that, let's go over our predictions for the final score, players of the game, and a hot take. So, Chris, I'll let you go ahead and kick off with that. Yeah, so my score, I think we're going to have a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be really similar to the Arkansas game. I have BYU taking the win 37-33. to don't ask me how either team is going to get to those scores, calling it like it is. Uh, my offensive player of the game is going to be Isaac Rex. I know I said get the receivers involved, but I do think Isaac Rex is going to be the main focal point of the passing offense. I think if we have success, it's going to start with Isaac Rex. And on the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with a little bit of a surprise pick. I'm going to say my player of the game is going to be Blake Mangelson. I loved watching him play in the second half. It looked like he had a lot of pass rush wins. He was getting to KJ Jefferson, had a lot of pressures. I think he kind of gets around the corner this time. I think he gets a sack, maybe two, maybe a forced fumble on one of them. I think he's going to have a big impact on this game. Blake Mangelson is my defensive player of the game. Hot take. I think that BYU is going to run for over 125 yards, which might not be the hottest of takes, but when you watch this BYU team, 125 yards rushing is pretty bold. But I think we're going to find a way to do it. I think we're going to break off a couple big runs. LJ Martin's going to get over the century mark, and I think he's going to have a big game on the ground. I love that. I would love if we got those rushing yards. Now, my, I'm going to go actually somewhat similar direction as you with all this. I'm going to take a BYU win here. I think it also is going to be fairly high scoring. I'm going to go BYU wins 42 to 35. I think this is going to be a little bit of a shootout like we saw with the Virginia matchup we had in 2021. I think offense is going to play a huge role here. With that said, for my offensive player of the game, I'm also going to give it to Isaac Rex. 
as you said, you know, those receivers are going to play a huge role in our success with our passing game. But I think Isaac has shown that he is our most consistently reliable player in the passing game. He is, you know, averaging, I believe I saw about 18 yards per reception. He is, you know, being that big difference maker when we need him to. He had a one-handed catch this past week against Arkansas that led to a touchdown as well. And, you know, he is showing that he's healthy. He's here to play. He's here to be that difference maker and leader that we need him to be in our passing offense. So I have him as my offensive player of the game. Defensive player of the game, I'm actually going to go with Ben Bywater. So one thing I noticed this last week is a lot of our defensive looks, we had a four-man front with our three linebackers of Max Tooley, Ben Bywater, and A.J. Fongbachon. And a lot of these, it looks like Max and A.J. would kind of sit in a zone, cover the running back, or sit as a spy on the quarterback. And we would send, if we ever sent a linebacker blitz, it felt like a lot of times it was Ben. So I think this is going to be a big opportunity for Ben. I think he's going to play a big role in getting to the quarterback, bringing that pressure to Daniels, and kind of, you know, making him a little bit uncomfortable. Of course, we're going to need to set those edges on the defensive line for it to work. But I think, you know, if all plays out right, I think Ben will have a big game with a lot of tackles. So I'm going to have him as my defensive player of the game. And then my hot take you know, as I mentioned, we saw Cody Epps back in his first game after injury, but he didn't, you know, make as much of a difference as some fans would expect. I think now that he's kind of got that first game out of the way, he makes a lot bigger of a step and plays a much larger role in this game. So my hot take is that we see Cody Epps with 100 yards receiving. I think he's going to play a huge role in our offense. You know, I still think Isaac gets that offensive player of the game. But I think in Cody's first, you know, real game back where he gets a lot more play time, a lot more looks, I think he gets over 100 yards receiving. Perfect. And with that out of the way, we did want to introduce a brand new segment we're bringing to the pod. It's going to be called What Would You Do? And we're taking three different scenarios that we've seen in college football across the week mostly from BYU this week and one outside, but could be a few situations there. We have to pick one play to defend the decision, one play to change the decision, and one play where we'll debate kind of back and forth and see if we can come to a conclusion in the end. So this week, our three plays are BYU's decision to go for a fake field goal down by 10 in the third quarter, uh, BYU's decision to kick a 50-yard field goal up by seven with just over two minutes left in the game, and then our last one is Colorado State. They tied. They were down a touchdown in overtime. They got a touchdown, went to kick the PAT to tie the game instead of trying to go for two and win it. So these are our three situations. And Dylan, I'm going to have you let me know which buckets you'd like to put each of those plays in. Yeah, so I think the one play I'm going to defend is going to be going for that 50-yard field goal when we were up to me. That is a very great decision to try to go for points there. You know, change that from a seven-point lead to a 10-point lead, put a lot more pressure on Arkansas. And to me, even more important than that, you know, applying to BYU specifically, if the kicker makes that 50-yarder, he is going on to future weeks with a lot more confidence. The coaches have a lot more confidence in him. And even if he misses, that's a pretty far field goal. It's still, though, at a point in the field where Arkansas isn't getting great field position off of the miss. 
where our defense had been playing so good. I I just really am really okay with that decision to go for a field goal instead of, you know, punting the ball away to pin them back or going for it on fourth down. Um, you know, I believe it's fourth and six, so it wouldn't be the easiest first down to get. And punting it back deep into their tor- territory is good in some situations, but I think where you have a chance at those points, you have a kicker who can make those. He's shown it in, you know, at least warm-ups. Why not give him that chance to make it? So that's going to be the one that I am defending. The one that I am, you know, on board with changing, of course, is going to be that fake field goal that we went for. Um, If you missed it, Ryan Rico what is the holder for our field goals. He just picked up the snap and tried to run with it. And in design, the play itself, you know, maybe it works if everybody blocks as they should, um, if he takes the right gap there. But even then, I don't love that decision to do a fake field goal there. You know, we were down 10 at this point. We just needed points. So doing a fake field goal and giving up that opportunity for easier points is not something I think we should be doing there. So I would change that to be just a field goal right off the bat. Of course, it ended up being a field goal for BYU because we had a false start on the fake play. Or no, it was a delay of game even on that fake play. And so we got another chance at it. But even then, why make it harder on ourselves? Why take that penalty just to make us to decide to kick it? I just want us to I just want to see us go out there, trust in our kicker, and take that field goal there. And then I guess that leaves the Colorado State two-point conversion. I just want to say I do agree with your decisions there. I do like kicking the 50-yard field goal. You make it great. You basically win the game there. You don't, and you still get to play defense up seven. Uh, The play to debate. So, yeah, Colorado State, they tied the game, or they scored and were one point down in overtime, could tie the game with a PAT, or could win it with a two-point conversion. They ended up kicking the PAT to tie it and send it to double overtime. Would you have made that same decision or would you have gone for two in that case? I'm absolutely going for two. And maybe a lot of BYU fans don't agree with me on this because BYU went for that two-point conversion against Utah in 2016 that lost us the game. But I think this is a very different situation. Colorado State had their offense rolling. They could have very well picked up that two-point conversion, just win that game. And, you know, Dallin Holker specifically – would have been a great target in that specific scenario. BYU fans are familiar with him, former BYU player Dallin Holker. But they also had, I can't remember what the receiver's name is. They had a receiver, though, that was dominating Colorado's defense through the end of that game specifically as well. So I disagree with going just for that field goal to tie it, that PAT to tie it. I think going for two is the right call there. And you know, I get the under, I understand that back and forth conflict, and I understand why you would just rather go for the tie there for some people. But the big difference maker to me in this scenario is actually based off of Colorado State's defense. Colorado State's best defender got ejected from the game in the fourth quarter for a targeting call, or maybe it was even an overtime. I think it was an overtime he got ejected for a targeting call. So, where your defense is already down its best player that is doing a great job containing Shador Sanders, containing the run. I don't trust my defense there as much as I do before. I'd rather just go for that two points when I trust my offense a lot more and get that win. Yeah, and typically I would agree with you there. But I think this situation, I kind of think Colorado State made the right choice. So hear me out. I would typically go for two. But 
I think Colorado's defense in short yardage situations has been pretty good this year. And if you're Colorado State, your offense is on a roll. You get the ball second in overtime because Colorado did choose to end up playing on a different side of the field. I think you can keep playing that and trust your offense. Obviously, it didn't work out. But like you said, Colorado State had that receiver. He had upwards of like 16 catches for over 100 yards. It's going crazy. had no answer for him. And I think Colorado State made the right choice tying that game and keeping it going because they did have a lot of momentum. They had Colorado on the ropes. You keep that game going as long as you can and you never know what happens. Obviously, in hindsight, it did not work out. But I don't think the, the, the call to go for the PAT was that far out of question for Colorado State. And, and I, I do understand that. And I think that's where it's a very scenario-based you know, situation here. Looking at, you know, the example I brought up before, BYU against Utah in 2016, we had a similar situation where we had actually our best defender and then that defender's backup both ejected for a targeting call with Kai Nakua. And I can't remember which McChesney it was, but it was a McChesney that got ejected for targeting after that as well. So that's that's where I also, you know, kind of agreed with going for that two-point conversion there. I didn't feel like we were going to be able to stop Utah if we went into overtime. And... You know, that's where that's where there's some fluctuation here. Maybe if Kansas State did have their best defender still, I would be okay with them going just for that tie and not the two-point conversion to win it. But, you know, their offense did have so much success. And when you're against a team with as, as much swagger as Colorado, they can pick up momentum just like that very easily. They are very confident in their own abilities. And so, you know, I just, I don't know if I can say I would trust my defense enough to take care of business in overtime. Maybe this is all in hindsight, like you said, maybe in hindsight, it's easier for me to think this, but again, where you're down your best defender, I would much rather trust in an offense that's already had a lot of success that game than trust in my defense to make a stop without its best player. Yeah, really either, either decision there is justifiable. In the end, Colorado State did not get the wins. So maybe they should have gone for two. But yeah, that was that was a fun one. That was interesting. Uh, moving on, just to close our show out, we want to go outside of BYU to the college football world. Uh, week three, we had a few good games. My favorite one personally was the Kansas State-Missouri game. Missouri comes out. They're playing it close with Kansas State the whole time. And a 61-yard field goal to walk it off for the win. You just don't see that in college football that often. But 61 yards, I was watching it. I know, I love, like, I wanted to cheer for the Big 12, but when you roll out a kicker for a 61-yarder, you just just can't help but hope he hits it. And he nailed it. It was a great moment. That was by far my top moment around college football this week. week. Yeah, I'm jumping on board there. That was definitely my favorite game of the day as well. Um, You know, just... I, I did also want Kansas State to win. Got a cheer for the Big 12 brother there, but I love the guts to pull out your kicker there. That's an NFL-level kick, and in that pressure, he delivered. The fans stormed the field after, and that kicker you know is going to be riding that high for a while. So I agree that was you know my game of the week as well. I thought that was a great game. Some other matchups this past week that I thought were fantastic and entertaining to watch as well. You know, on Thursday night, we had Memphis and Navy. That was actually a very close game. Navy seemed to be dominating early on in the game, and then Memphis, you know, took over and ended up winning 28-24. to And that game was kind of intriguing to me because it feels like this Navy offense 
is starting to change things up a little bit. It wasn't only that option offense that we are used to seeing, but they threw in a little bit more of a passing option as well into their offense. So that was very fun to watch. Um, going to Saturday, I think another matchup that needs to be called out was that Boston College Florida State game. Number three, Florida State at Boston College only won by two points. The final score was 31 to 29. Florida State was held scoreless in the fourth quarter, and Boston College had 13 points in that fourth quarter. So that was a very fun and close game. So overall, some great matchups from this past week. You know, we had the upset of Florida over Tennessee. We had, you know, that super close Colorado, Colorado State game. So a lot of just fun football to watch this past week. Now moving into this next week, there are some good matchups coming up here as well that I am looking forward to. A lot of them are actually at the same time at that 1.30 kickoff as BYU. Um, incorporated in those is a lot of actually ranked matchups between Pac-12 teams and a ranked matchup between a couple SEC opponents. But the game that I want to point out that I am looking forward to most is actually going to be, I believe it's a 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time kickoff. It's Ohio State and Notre Dame. This is at Notre Dame. It's 6th-ranked Ohio State against ninth ranked Notre Dame. Notre Dame, you know, they their biggest weakness, it has felt like in the past, is just not having an elite quarterback. They've had all the pieces they've needed to on offense, but they have had lackluster play from their quarterback specifically. But now they have Heisman candidate Sam Hartman. I think this is Notre Dame's best chance to upset Ohio State. I think if Ohio State loses this game, there's a very real chance they are not making the playoffs this year. And at that same point, I think if Notre Dame wins this game, there's a very real chance that they make the playoffs. So that's going to be my matchup of the week outside of BYU. Yeah, there's a bunch of good games on this weekend. You mentioned the Pac-12 ranked matchups. Colorado at Oregon is going to be exciting. UCLA at Utah should be a fun game. My favorite of the three, Oregon State at Washington State. Both these teams are ranked. They're kind of feeling scorned by the Pac-12 and realignment, things like that. They're both playing great football this year. I think that game is going to be so much fun to watch. And then the final game I wanted to point out, Iowa at Penn State. I mentioned at the in the first episode we did that I love watching Penn State. They've got a special place in my heart for really no reason other than, like, I love their wideouts. But I will be watching that game. I want to see how well Penn State fares against that Iowa defense. And I think we've got a lot of great games on this weekend. You really can't go wrong with any of them. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, fair to kind of say that this is Penn State's first really difficult challenge against a high-level defense Iowa's defense has been great this year, and Penn State is running their offense behind quarterback Drew Aller, who is having a great season so far with almost 1,000 passing yards already. Could very well hit 1,000 passing yards if he has a good game this week. So that's another one I am also looking forward to as well. I, lo I love that you called that one out. Well, it should be a great week four for college sports. Hopefully it's a great week four for BYU. Again, if you do not follow us on our social medias, make sure you check us out on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Coog Talk Podcast for both of those, for Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you give us a follow because we are now posting highlight videos there. We're going to have a hype video every game day. We are working on getting even more hype videos 
posted throughout the week. So you can expect those to come out soon as well. But make sure you go check them out. Um, also, if you don't already know, we have our website. It's cougartalkpodcast.com. You can check out all of our links from there. You can also use that link to subscribe to Coo Connect using our affiliate link there. So that's one of the best ways you can support us and what we do with this podcast. But with that all said, thank you all so much for listening. We are really excited for this BYU-Kansas matchup, hoping for a BYU win as always. But, Chris, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Go Cougs. As always, go Cougs. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week. This was the Cougar Talk Podcast. Thanks for listening.